I don't think that native apps solve every problem. It really depends on what your use case is. I definitely fell in love with native design partially because the all the various capabilities, the the development and design process, how, how different it is. I mean, it's like if you're doing a native app, it's like you've got stability on your side. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. All right, welcome to the What is UX podcast, where I interview design leaders from amazing companies. And today we have a special guest, Caitlin Steele, who's the experience design manager at Trello Mobile. Trello is a project management tool that we can get into. Caitlin also owns a lot of stretchy leg pants from her days at Lulu Leggings from Lululemon. And also she was one of the founding team members at Masterclass, uh, which started as an idea and now onto Series C on its way to becoming a multi-billion dollar company. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you. I think actually masterclasses either they're, they're they're the series D or E. It's oh, like, so it's like, a little dated like, now. I was I was there through series D. Series D. So I was yeah. there. I made I made the series A pitch deck. So I was there for from angel money all the way through to <laughs> series C. What I like about your journey is you you started in design, getting into UX design pretty late in life in tech at the age of 35. And before that, you you had a very different career as a director of marketing and communications. So I'd yeah, yeah. I, I started in the world of print. I actually started at a little children's book publisher, first Barefoot Books and then Candlewick Press back in the day. And I was, I was doing catalogs and promotions and in-store materials and sort of went that brand route and ended up climbing my way up the marketing and communications ladder until, yeah, I was director of communications and marketing for a nonprofit in San Francisco. And yeah, it was, I think I was 34 when I started panicking a little bit about, I'm turning 35. What have I done in the last 35 years? What am I doing for the next 35 years? Like literally wake up at 3 a.m., kind of heart racing, like sat down, wrote a manifesto and said, I'm going to get into tech. I want to do this. Like I've always been involved in websites. I'm more technical than the average person when it comes to design and talking about these things. And I did it. I started over completely from scratch, which was definitely a, a big pivot and obviously very hard at first. It wasn't like a magical overnight transformation, but, you know, coming up on a decade later, it's definitely the most rewarding career that I've had in UX now. Yeah. Why UX in particular? That is a great question. I think the thread of everything I've ever done is I really like helping people. My college job was the best ever. I drove a wheelchair van around my college campus and helped people with mobility issues, whether it was temporary, like a broken leg or, or you know, permanent long-term issues where they couldn't get across campus easily. And it was greatly rewarding to like help people and meet them and have these conversations and learn about their journeys while I was driving them. And then children's with publishing, I mean, it's like, what's better than teaching kids to read or working at a hospital system and helping people find the right interventions or working in clinical trials, all of those things the core thread is 
making people's lives better in some way. And I think that UX is it's a game changer in that we can design people's experiences and how they interact with all types of products, but also services. I mean, I, I have great empathy for developers. having been one. It's like I design my processes on the design side to make sure that I'm serving the needs of my product partners, my engineers, my QA teams. I, I see the journey. You mentioned mo- helping people with mobility and, and now you're doing Trello mobile. So there's, there's a theme of mobility <laughs> here. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely. I'm always on the move. <laughs> And, and you moved from as a sixth generation Californian and, and you moved as well so in thinking about, you know, where yeah. tech is, you, you know, in the Bay Area, for example, and, but now you're not. Yeah, I think moving away from somewhere, even if you love it, makes you appreciate it more. I don't think I really loved California as much as I do now before I moved to Boston. I was there for seven years, moved there for grad school, ended up moving back and was in San Francisco for 10 years and then tried moving to my hometown of Nevada City, California for a year. I love it. My family officially moved there in 1848. So even before California was a state and I was the the last one, the last holdout. Everybody has left to various places. And at some point I just decided to try out Seattle. I also have a long family history up here as well. And one of my sisters was here and I love it. I love Seattle. And I will always love California, but I, I don't know if I'll ever move back. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I have uh, fond memories of my close to 10 years in, in California. Uh, and now, now I'm back in Chicago. So I, I can understand and appreciate the, the sentiments are very similar. One of the reasons I was so intrigued by, you know, kind of your ex- design experience, because you have you know, master class is sort of educational online. And then you, you Lululemon is more D2C consumer. And, and now Trello, that's kind of like B2B. You, you talk about designing for developers. Like some people use Trello for project software, project management. You know, there's, there's like at least three types of audiences you're designing in three different industries. So I'm just going to be a sponge and try to soak up as much insight <laughs> as you can offer in if you could share with us some of the learnings and some of the early days you, you even mentioned like doing designing the pitch deck of masterclass tell us let, let, let's start there yeah sure well i think in order to get to to masterclass is a, a bit that's a big part of my my pivot of when i decided to move away from marketing and communication and so i think it was in the maybe fall of 2013 that I decided something something needed to be different. Something had to change. And I was working at a high school of all places. And it's a big fancy private school in San Francisco. And I wanted to do something different. And a friend of mine had hooked up with some of the people from Masterclass before it was even Masterclass, working on kind of this online education concept, you know, democratizing access to genius, doing something different. And they they had a part-time UX designer, but she just didn't have bandwidth for doing the workbooks. She didn't have bandwidth for doing the, any of the marketing type of work, like the PowerPoint deck. And so that's when I started freelancing for them. And at that point, I was hungry for this change that was coming. And I knew that I was going to 
do something different. I hadn't actually decided to leave the school yet, but it was really interesting. It was really fun. It was really cool to go to their offices in downtown San Francisco where they were working with Carbon 5 and like see the standing desks and like how different it was from the world that I was in. And so really, I just was like, I'll work on anything. And that that original designer, Rebecca Garza-Bortman, who is an amazing person. I know her. I believe that she works. You know RGB? Oh, yes! RGB is the best. Met her at Google and as a Google contractor, you know, we had Google as a client, but that's what a small world. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So Rebecca is, she's one of the heroes of my journey into UX. So she was happy to offload anything that she didn't have bandwidth for. And so that was one of those things was the pitch deck. And I spent a lot of time on that because it's like, you, how do you take these really complicated concepts of like, what's the landscape of everybody who exists in the online education space? How do you articulate the impact that an instructor who creates a video can reach, you know, 20 times the number of students than they ever could teaching in person over five years. I was able to help with that. And so once they had funding, I got the opportunity to be employee number three. I think Rebecca was number one, maybe, and work with her. And so that's where those first couple years, I did anything that needed to be done. Like, I think my original title was experience manager. So I helped recruit the next 12 people who started after me. I built out our first office space. I got our first hoodie screen printed. I designed the layout of the workbooks. I did all the user research for the initial three classes that we launched with. And that was something where Rebecca, you know, sort of helped me gain confidence in my skills. Because I think to some extent, I've been like, oh, tech, I don't. Everyone says that, like, I don't really know enough to go and do that when I say I want to go and do it. And Rebecca was like, you're better than a lot of researchers I worked with at Google. Like, come on, come do this. And she gave me a lot of opportunities. And I continued doing more and more UX because she was the only designer. I also learned to code. I took a JavaScript class at General Assembly. I'd always casually built websites. They needed help developing and ultimately... I had already learned JavaScript and I'd always known HTML and CSS. I started building websites in high school um, and made money building them in the summers in college. And so I was able to jump in and I was the first front end developer. And the last three months before launch, I was, you know, building UI. And then as we launched, it was, you know, more and more clear that we needed a mobile presence. And so I sort of take that on, took that on. So Rebecca would design what they, you know, desktop or laptop experience looked like. And she handled the brand and all of the major UX decisions. And then she would hand it to me and I would create all of the responsive experiences, just developing it, like designing and developing at the same time in the browser. Like, okay, you know, at this width, this is what happens. And I wouldn't go through like mocking things up and you know, PSDs or whatever was popular at the time. And it was really fun because I learned so much about UX, but I also really learned how to become a developer and ended up like I built out their first pattern library because that was becoming a thing at the time. And I was like, well, yeah, like, let's do this before it gets messy. Let's go. And I refactored, you know, all of the CSS in the entire application in the first year after launch and built it out and was collaborating with Rebecca on the design system from the get-go, which was really exciting. And like that organized part of my brain really enjoyed. It was like, we can prevent so many problems. And now later on, having built much larger, much more complicated applications, I'm like, that 
was so smart of me. Apparently, all of this experience of, you know, being a marketing communications director and managing print design workflows gave me a perspective that was very useful of like, no, every every bit of organization that we can have now, it's going to pay off later. And it always did. And so it was it was an amazing couple years. Like definitely, you know, there were the days where I would get to work at 8 a.m. and then I would leave the next day at 6 a.m. and go home for three hours of sleep and then go back and, you know, work for more of the day. So definitely living in dog years in startup life. But it was amazing. And I learned so much about design and so much about development in that period of time that I don't think I would have learned in five years at an enterprise organization. Yeah, that's that's always one thing about startups is you you learn a lot. And and I graduated at the height of the first dot com boom and had similar experiences of working like 16 hour days, sleeping on the couch while some of my friends slept under their desks. And you know, you you speak about designing right inside the browser as a as a developer first. You know, when I started learning design and, and doing Photoshop designs. Yeah, eventually got to the point where it was faster for me to just try to design in the browser, design just in HTML. And, you know, I think that's kind of a lost art these days because designers have design tools and they don't know anything about CSS and HTML, which is kind of sad. But, you know, it seems like there's maybe a trend of going back with with tools like Webflow and they kind of have to know it a little bit maybe. Um, yeah. I think, I mean... Yeah, I, I do think I was I was sort of entering the stage at the time when everyone was like, the unicorn, we're looking for the unicorn. That's right. Oh, you can design a code, you're a unicorn. I was like, uh. Yes, that's a word yeah, that was thrown around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was, that was very, very big, which, you know, that was I, during the time I got to go to an event apart a bunch of different times and, you know, meet Jeffrey Zeldman and all of these heroes of of my sort of early days in the technology world. And I don't know, I, I don't think that design should ever be completely separated from technology. I think you you need to understand the technologies. I don't think that everybody should be competent of like, oh yeah, we just want, you know, for our job posting, we just want somebody who, you know, is really great at UX, who has impeccable UI skills, you know, share your dribble portfolio. We also want to make sure that you can code because you should know JavaScript, you know, be, be fully, you know, you know, up to speed on React as a framework. Like it's, it's, it's impossible for most to people to do yeah, that to be. work, like being at like the highest level for all of those things, but like understand it, understand how web fonts work, Under, understand, you know, yeah. what your developers are using to best leverage the technology. Right. T-shape, they call it, right? Still have yeah. like some base knowledge of, of some of those things. So what were some of the cool design insights you had over at Masterclass? Oh, man. I mean, there were, I got to do a lot of fun product work because in the early days, like other than the founders and Rebecca, like nobody was explicitly doing product for the first couple years. And so it was, you know, writing design specs of like, we should redesign our cart. And I actually put together a pitch for a mobile redesign of how we need to op- like redesign the entire site to optimize it for responsive mobile and like got to put together that proposal. And that's when I started being in charge of all of the mobile interfaces officially and going through. Rebecca and I worked on a really fun one that I think it might still exist, but I don't think it functions quite as well, but it was Christina Aguilera's range finder. 
And so we built this tool where it was a keyboard and you sang into the microphone and it would set the sort of middle of your range. And then it would have you sing as high as you could go and would sort of match all the notes. And I got to do all the fun CSS for sort of how we were animating the notes rising on the keys and, you know, the icons coming up to like a check mark when you've done that. And then we had you sing as low as you could go. And then we would generate out like, this is what your range is. And it had a, you know, social media share function. It was a really, really fun project to work with. And just one more example of, I was working in this quasi design development capacity, but collaborating and learning so much. Rebecca. That that tool seems hyper specific to Christina Aguilera and not really extendable oh, to so, the rest of so. masterclass instructors. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was it was in the early days of marketing. I mean, I think she was, you know, she was definitely maybe our fifth class. I don't remember exactly gotcha. what number, but she was early days and she was game to try new things and was was interested in that. Uh, did you get to meet her and doing talk it a little to differently? Did you get to meet her and talk to her? I did. I did. We had our launch party at her house. And she was absolutely lovely. Uh, I I wasn't trying to talk to her. I was waiting to talk to my friend Emily, who was talking to her, who had been one of the cinematographers on the class. And I was waiting, trying to talk to Emily. Uh, And then I think she thought I was waiting to talk to her. And Emily turned and introduced me to Christina Aguilera, which was awesome. And she was lovely. And she high-fived me for being the only female engineer at the company. And, you know, one of those life highlight moments. I wandered away with Emily because I was like, I wasn't trying to introduce myself to her. (laughs) I'm really excited that I got to meet her. In in another episode of my podcast here, we interviewed someone who was at Twitter, kind of at the height of its popularity with all the celebrities. And he would say, this Jay DiMatillo's episode, if you, you haven't heard it, check it out. But he would say, you know, celebrities were always dropping by the Twitter office, like Tom Hanks, like famous celebrities uh, of all sorts, because they, you know, they all wanted to be part of this, you know, having that presence uh, on Twitter. So they were always dropping by and and he said his UX manager was never at his table, at his table next to him because they were always like trying to score, a, you know, a photo or a selfie or autograph with a celebrity. So that was funny. Yeah, it definitely, I don't know. I don't think I was ever, I don't think it was the celebrity that got me into it because actually when Masterclass originally, like we were talking about the concept and the the original founder David was talking about where it was going to go. It it was actually focused very much on like, how do we break down very specifically in a really highly produced way, what people do and what it is that makes them unique about what they're doing. It wasn't necessarily meant to be like, we're going to talk to celebrities. It ended up going in that direction, but I think one of the fascinating things with masterclass is that it isn't always like, you know, the A-list or B-list names. Like it's the people who maybe nobody else knows about who's in a space who like, they're like, Oh my gosh, this one person who does this thing in an area that I love is, is getting the opportunity to teach and show what they're doing. And that the breadth of classes just keeps growing and growing and that there is a fair amount of just like storytelling in the classes of just, you know, sort of what's, what is this person's journey where they came along the way. 
but it's definitely much more about education and, and not just about famous people. Right. And uh, how, how did you get the gig at Lululemon after that? And what did you do there? Oh, wow. So I actually had a step in between Lululemon, which not everybody would know about. So I was at Masterclass for, I'd been freelancing for them for a year before I started full-time. And then about two years after that, my father was diagnosed with cancer. And the startup life is amazing for a lot of things, but work-life balance when it comes to spending time with family is not something it's necessarily known for. And my dad, he's the one that got me into technology. Like he, he and I learned to code together when I was in high school and we even started an ISP because there wasn't one in our hometown. We were tired of dialing in long distance to Sacramento. So being with him and spending time with him was incredibly important to me. So I actually got a job at a company in Davis who did informed consent for clinical trials. So it was something where I was doing specifically more design and was able to spend more time with him. And so I was there for a couple years and it was actually at Metadata that got me into uh, mobile because I was doing web design and front-end web development. They were a really tiny company of about 30 people. Originally, it was called Nitrous. And about 12 weeks after I started, we got bought by Medidata, who then end-of-life to the web product that I was working on. And I suddenly found myself working on my first fully native mobile product. And it was great to be able to spend more time with my dad, be there for my family, and also working in a space that I'm super passionate about. I think clinical trials are amazing. And if I could help deliver an intervention for Alzheimer's six months earlier or a year earlier, because our informed consent software was explaining to people what participating in a trial actually meant to them, but also getting good clinical data out and into the sites as it was needed. It was, it was really, really a great process. But again, my dad's first cancer turned into a second, much more serious cancer. And once he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I definitely had a lot of, okay, what am I doing? And I was thinking about potentially becoming a contract designer. And that's when Lululemon reached out to me. <laughs> hey, we're looking for contract designers to work on our mobile app. Do you want to do that? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Because it gave me the flexibility to like, if I needed to just take a week off, I could take a week off. And Lulu was an incredibly supportive place for me through the final, I think, four months of my dad's life. And then Lulu you know, gave me some time away just specifically to kind of process through that. And I wasn't really sure if I was going to go back there. They're like my manager, who's amazing, Nicola Harper, was like, we'll wait for you. I was like, I'm, I'm just one contractor of many, sure. And she reached out two months later and was like, hey, like, I really, we're waiting for you. Like, really, do you want to come back? And it was, it was the perfect time for me and the perfect role at that time. And I came on full time there and was, you know, probably about two, within two months, I was suddenly like the lead designer on all of mobile. And about six months after that, they promoted me to being the design manager for all of mobile because we were scaling really quickly and adding teams. And it, it was really, really fun and absolutely loved it and had a bunch of fun there. Like the, the thing about Lulu is the people. Like, obviously, like, they're a brand that's really known for what they do, but everyone that I worked with there was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I hear good things about Lulu, and it's, it's amazing to hear that they 
gave you the space and, you know, not many companies or, you know, fast moving companies are known for being patient. It's like, ah, oh, well, they got to move. They got to move. So it's, it's speaks to their yeah. culture. Yeah. They're, they're really are, it is a great culture and it is amazing. The people yeah. that work there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and free leggings help. <laughs> Not exactly free, but yeah, I, I definitely uh, own a lot of leggings. I have a very comfortable pandemic wardrobe because of them and worked and I, you know, worked there, I think about two years and I was not looking to leave. One of the wonderful people from Lulu had ended up at Atlassian and was working on Trello. And when they decided they were going to hire their first full-time experienced design manager exclusively for mobile, they sent the job description my way. And I was like, hmm, okay, interesting. Maybe I wasn't looking for anything, but I actually really like Trello. And this is really interesting. And in 20. 14, when I was originally trying to get into UX, I interviewed with Atlassian at Bitbucket. And it was this great interview process because I was such a noob to UX, but I've been doing design for so long. And it was one of those things that they could tell I was so enthusiastic. And I got like the best no ever, where they said, you have so much potential. We are so excited to see your journey. You just don't have enough experience for this role that we're hiring for, but come back when you're ready and we'll, we'll be waiting. And just like somehow it all came together and here I am. I think I, next week will be three months for me at Atlassian working on Trello. So it's all very new still. And, you know, being new anywhere is hard. I think being new during a pandemic is a slightly higher level of complexity but so excited and again like the people are fantastic it's just a great company and so i'm i'm having a lot of fun so trello was an acquisition where where is kind of like the concentration of trello do they have an office or were they always remote trello is really interesting they actually made the decision to go fully distributed really early on in their journey so I believe that they started out in New York, but had a couple opportunities for people that they really wanted to bring on board and had to ask themselves the hard questions of like, can we make everyone move to New York? Are we missing out on people by not going distributed? So Trello has been distributed for a very long time and we're fully distributed when the acquisition happened. Got it. Yeah. It's, it's so common now and looking back, it's like, it's, you, Trello was ahead of the curve, like like many companies, like like GitLab or Zapier. Actually, I, I yeah. recently learned, recently in the last couple of years, learned that WordPress was always a remote company, for example. So they're mm -hmm. the pioneers of working remotely. So this pandemic, like, or, or companies like Envision were always remote. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a different way of doing things. I've actually been full-time remote since 2017 because I started at Mitris in Davis and was like, I gave up my rent control department in San Francisco. And <laughs> then Medidata bought us like literally the next week. It was like, our offices are in San Francisco. And I was like, ah, because Mitris <laughs> was mostly distributed where every, most of the people were within like a day's drive of Davis. We saw each other at least once a week, but we were primarily distributed. So it's not 
a new thing for me in any way, shape or form. It's very interesting. Every company does it differently and everybody does it sort of at different levels. I still say like pandemic remote work is different because before I always just got to travel. Like even if I was remote, I was meeting up. I was seeing the people that I was working with and having those formative bonding experiences in person. And I'm really excited for when I get to meet my current team in person for the first time. Yeah, for sure. Even at our company, Impeccable, as a design agency, we we were always mostly remote. We had a small office in the Bay Area, but pre-pandemic, we would meet up. There were several occasions that we did it twice a year. We had a summer gathering and a winter gathering, but we also had conferences. So like if there was a design conference, maybe some of the designers would get to meet. You know, I went to some of the tech conferences and we we you know, some of the developers were involved in that technology and I might meet there. So there were always lots of opportunities to meet and bond, like you said, and also meet with our clients. You know, if we kicked off a project and they were were up for it, we might all, you know, the people involved in the project might fly and meet the clients and we show our face and, hey, we're here, we're real, we're human. <laughs> but yeah, none yeah. of that is, you know, in this world now, in the pandemic world, it's, we haven't done any of that. And it's all been this, this Zoom world, Zoom fatigue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could do with a little less Zoom in my world. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think we all can. I definitely miss conferences. Like I've met so many cool and amazing people at conferences, which you know, they'll, they'll happen again someday. I wanted to get some, you know, you, you've been doing mobile and native design for a while. I'd like to maybe share some of the insights that you've learned at Lulu designing mobile, which I know you're pretty new at Trello mobile, but yeah, anything, any yeah. tips uh, you can share? Sure, definitely. Yeah, it was at Metadata that I started designing in mobile. So I've been doing, again, coming up on almost five years of exclusively native mobile work at this point. I fell in love with responsive web design like and, you know, mobile first really early on in my career when I was doing development. But... <laughs> It, yeah, I've learned I've learned so much. I think there was a period of time where if we'd met each other at a happy hour, I would have extolled the virtues of, you know, mobile web apps, progressive web apps. <laughs> Responsive. Uh, like, App installs are going down. Yeah. And so when Metadata got acquired and it was a pivot to our, our native product, I was like, I got a smartphone. I spend all day on it. I know mobile. It'll be fine. Oh boy, I had so, so, so much to learn along the way and definitely have learned the hard way on a lot of things. I mean, I'll first say it's like native apps, they, they aren't for every application. It's, you know, I don't think anything's a panacea. I don't think that web apps always solve the problem. And I don't think that native apps solve every problem. It really depends on what your use case is. I definitely fell in love with native design partially because the all the various capabilities, the the development and design process, how, how different it is. I mean, it's like if you're doing if a native app, it's like you've got stability on your side. So permanence, wherever the whatever task the user is doing when they leave, the app is in the same state when they come back. It's not, you aren't logged out. It's not a page refresh, resets everything. Performance by having access to system resources, blazingly fast. There's a higher level of security because um, you've got the device level authentication and the like, you know, app, the Apple 
App Store and then the Google Play Store, their approval processes add a level of security that you're not necessarily going to get on a web app. And then accessibility. I think baseline, those tools, the way that um, the platforms have developed them, you're using the same technologies that makes the device usable and accessible to build your app. I think Before I'll say I know anything about mobile design is the vast amount of gratitude that I have for all of the developers that I've worked with who've helped me learn as much along the way. But yeah, yeah, they help you learn so much along the way. I trailed off on that one. I guess the the biggest difference, like a lot of people are like, well, what's the difference? You, You install one and you go to the other one through the browser. But fundamentally for me, it's actually more about platforms versus frameworks. And so when you have a web app, like say post post bootstrap web app, they rely on frameworks that the user is never going to see. And you're generating bespoke experiences that are all seen through the browser window. Like literally you're like, this is the metaphor of the browser being a window. It's a window seeing into something from outside of it. And when you're talking about native applications, users don't distinguish as much a difference between the app they're using on the device with everything else that's happening on that device. And I think that for me, for designing, that was a fundamental thing of understanding in how I designed for it. I would definitely say to anyone who's getting into mobile design for the first time is know your platforms. You really need to get to know what's the same across both platforms, what's different across those platforms. I think both iOS and Android, it's like their design languages I compare it to how French and either Spanish or Italian, like they're all Latin languages. They all have the same base roots. And once you learn one of them really well, it's a lot easier to pick up the other. They're not the same. Yeah. Like for example, a great example on that one is see how navigation works on both platforms before you double down on any major architecture, like information architecture decisions. On, on one of them if you're going to end up designing concurrently. So it's really easy to be like, I'm going to start with the one I'm most comfortable with and I'm going to map out everything about what this is going to look like at a really high level and make decisions based on one where it may be different enough in the other that you want to sort of get ahead of those decisions early on. I think another one is get technical. That's something where I was talking earlier about technology. Both the material design system and Apple's human interface guidelines are gold mines of documentation, but sadly, they don't cover everything. And I actually think that um, one of those, I'm not going to call it which, has really drifted away from documenting how things work as much as they once did in the beginning. So that's really, it's like, now that everything's streaming, you can get access to developer conference content in a way that you couldn't before the pandemic or that was a lot harder. Watch those videos. I think that there's a lot more that's happening in some of the documentation that's geared towards developers than necessarily like the, the static pieces that are out there waiting for designers to look at. And also it's like in the publicly available developer documentation that are out there for both Android and for iOS, like you can learn about all the device unique features in a deeper way so that you're designing for them, like notifications, sharing location services, camera, gyroscope, gestures, all of those different things. The design documentation isn't always going as deep as the developer documentation goes. I think the biggest one that I like to talk about is continuity over consistency. Really, you're looking at a continuous ecosystem of devices. It's not, I think in the early days, like particularly with responsive web design, people were talking about making things consistent. 
like, if I'm on one thing, make it look the same, where consistency sort of can lead to the place where everybody's like, well, I mean, let's make the X in the same spot, use the same icon on every device. Where it's like, oh, but you, you can use the modal that <laughs> that <laughs> Apple offers you, and, and right. still have it be a very branded experience. But you're you're going to be um, meeting user expectations more because if every other modal in every other app that they're using has the you know the Apple you know gray X in the circle on the top right, that's that's going to be something that's more expected for them, and you're going to reduce cognitive burden. One of the things that you didn't mention in my journey is my master's degree was actually in writing literature and publishing. And one of the things that I focused on in it was poetry. And there's also a huge amount of print design. It's how I got into print design of publication layout. But stories are the human operating system. And that's ultimately what we should be leveraging. And so it's when you're talking about continuity over consistency, you're having it that it's like when I'm you know, closing my laptop and putting away Trello, whether it's, you know, a desktop app or, or the web app and picking up the mobile device that there's unable to continue the actions that I'm working on. But like the same storytelling of what I'm trying to do and why it may not be the exact same features all the time, but it's a part of that same story. And I think that there, there's so much we can do. Like that's where you index heavy on working with a content strategist or your content designer, you know, like have the same word for the same action on all of your devices, like whether it's, you know, or native, like make sure that there are other ways that you're sort of keeping that story together for your users that isn't only leaning on like UI and UX to do that for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have, I have one or two more design buildable things. This is one of my favorite things that I love to talk about and collaborate early and often with your developers. They are always your best friends. I think in some organizations, depending on how things are organized, things can be a little more siloed and that it's often um, a situation of like, okay, all right, design, we're going to collaborate with product and we're going to like have a lot of empathy for our users. We're going to do all these things. And then we're going to throw it over the wall to our developers. We're like, iOSify it, make that. No and developer empathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Ideally, this is something that's changing more and more and we're seeing less and less of, but I think that it's something that there was a lot of time, but it's like having been a developer myself, it's like there is something that can take five hours one way and 20 hours another way. So it's like have that conversation early. One of my friends who is a developer who I greatly enjoy, she, she says, give me sketches today, not pixel perfect tomorrow. Like she, it's, she wants to see that early, that messy. And I think a lot of people, it's like as designers, it's like we, we have this way of like, I want to make everything perfect. And so it's like part of that is like, no, no, I need more time on it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Show, show the user flows, show the sketches, show these things and make sure that your technical partners have access to that. The first time they see a design should never be at a handoff. When you're right. like, okay, go build it now. You need to bring them along on that journey with you. And you're going to create better designs. Your designs are going to be way better if you have a partner who's like, oh, well, hey, wait, there's this new thing that's coming out in the operating system that if we do it this way for that, for the release, it's going to be 10 times better. Like you're always going to end up with a better result. And your, your QA team will love you too, because I think they're the unsung heroes of, of what we do. And it's like, Design systems should be serving, you know, QA as much as anyone because they're actually fantastic advocates 
for making sure that our designs are implemented the way that all of us are thinking about them. Yeah. Um, I know it's the, every designer, young designers struggle when they have some, you know, in their mind, brilliant designs, and then it gets tossed over the wall and it's like, Oh, and then the output's like, not what they expected. And oftentimes maybe they blame the developer like, Oh, they couldn't execute my vision. Well, if you collaborated in there as, as early as you could, you know, then understood the limitations, right? Like get technical or you, you might've avoided that. And it's really not, not about the design, but this color collaboration, having that empathy to your point of like, if I do it this way, it's going to, take two weeks or do it this way. And there's, there's a native component that's already there. I can just drop it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest things that I brought to my career starting later is that I had moved on from that defensiveness and I had gotten much more comfortable with vulnerability. I think that's that's one of the things of like some of the really crazy things that happened in my life during that period of time, like my going through my my father's cancer alongside him, where empathy and vulnerability, like <laughs> they're superpowers. It's not like we should all be oversharing all of the time, but it's like being comfortable showing that early unfinished work. And not when people give you feedback on it, not being defensive and like, well, yeah, but I mean, I totally, I was going to do that, but I, I haven't gotten there yet <laughs> or I didn't have enough time or what, whatever it is. I think as a young print designer, I, if I were, if I were working with me, I first would probably want to kill young me and then would also spend a lot of time coaching through a lot of, a lot of these things that as a young designer, it's really hard. I mean, young anyone, like in any type of role, like you learn so much over time. But I think that design is something that is so internal and so creative that it's really easy to conflate self with role at times. And so then when people are criticizing your work or critiquing, they're not criticizing, they critique it, it can be taken as a criticism and being really personal. And that's something that I think the best designers learn early on how to separate those two things and be like, I am, I am not my work and that this work is going to end up the best work possible. If we're able to have those gritty conversations and kind of work through like, what are the problems? Yeah. Kind of on the opposite, like Pixar has a great, they have a great habit. They call them dailies. So, you know, Pixar artists are encouraged to, they show their work uh, to your point early and often. And, and that's the dailies is a reflection of that where people get review and, and critique and give input on the other side of that. You know, when I find myself as a owner of an agency, a leader, people do withhold and wait. Cause you know, if I want to look at something they're like, Oh, the CEO is going to look at it. Uh, I'm going to make it great. And, you know, like, and then they put it off and then the, the side effect is like, I don't see it until later. And I'd rather see it early. Uh, and uh, so I think uh, the advice is, yeah, show, show it early and often. Because even the leaders want to, one, they might have input. They have a lot of experience. Number two, you know, you're, you might be off on off track a little bit by, by kind of withholding. Yeah. Yeah. Lulu, one of the things that I had the most fun doing at Lululemon was implementing a full-scale design process. Because when I walked in, it was wild, wild, wild. 
Like it was like, here's this developer story that we put together for this feature that we kind of have an understanding on. Like, can you just like take that and like attach like something in Zeppelin? I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And so like there were a bunch of different things. And one of them was, I was like, all right, designers show it demos. It is not just engineers. Like we show what we're working on too. And it can be early on. And then that means the entire team is seeing things without being like, come to an hour long design review for these things. But it was incrementally seeing all those things. And that added comfort to being like, all right, everybody else is showing things that are early and buggy and broken and imperfect. So like, let's show that, which I think was really helpful. But then in the design process, it was like, I was like, all right, we're using Jira for our design stories. We have templates for those things. We're going to have checklists and ask all these questions. And we're going to decide at the beginning of a project, depending on the scope of it, like, of like, what all artifacts are we going to do? Like, is this something where I'm just, you know, updating all of the icons so I don't need user flows? Or is this something where it's like, I definitely use your flows or like, we have to do a full design sprint for this. And then we're going to have user journey maps and all of those pieces that it's like, before design begins, we are dictating all of these things. And that it's like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we're showing our, our engineers. And I started developing the process when I was still doing IC design. Like I brought this user flow, the checkout redesign to the team demo. And I was like, Hey, I created this user flow. And I just, right now it's only what currently exists. And I identified all of our pain points and it's my favorite user flow I've ever created. And I had like emojis of like, you know, the happy spots in it and like the sad pain points and the angry pain points. And I showed it to the developers and they went nuts. And they were like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, I've known that that was a problem and blah, blah. They're like, we, we want to do something else. I was like, oh, well, I was going to, do you want to do an ideation session? And they're like, yes. And we spent an hour going through just the current evaluation state. And we went through and like had a, a board for it that we were tracking where it was like, you know, the column of like, what are the things that we know are problems and we just haven't had time to address yet? What are the things, and then creating like a column of like, what are the things that we really want to fix, but we have technical blockers for why we haven't. And part of that was like the CDB, like how we were handling that was our payment processor was like heavily involved in that. The engineers could tell me so much more detail about that than I could find out on my own. And then I took all that feedback and went back and like created this whole new user flow of like, all right, we're going to stop people from pogo sticking up and back and down to like add these pieces of information. And they really influenced the, the design. And then like I showed them the new one at the next demo and we went through it and they're like, we love it. And we did another ideation session of like digging into all of the pieces. And I, it just made me, made me so happy. And I think that fundamentally, like I was able to change the culture there from like sort of the the designer working in this really reactive way of pivoting through that inflection point where you can be proactive like we're going to use process as a way that's going to help structure things for us and make success repeatable yeah, yeah you mentioned the you know jira templates and processes to, to i think that's what you want to have a good process the other takeaway is you know, you, you, you talk to developers, it's not just users, developers have insights too. And uh, yeah. I do it with them. Yeah. I mean, users, I don't want to undervalue. I mean, I, I at Lulu was completely spoiled. We have an amazing research team there and the amount of user research they were able to do was fantastic. I just think on average that people don't always think of the developers as a resource for that as much. And it's, it's an important voice because 
you know, they, they know a lot of things and have spent a lot of time thinking about this product in detail. And it, it's a resource that should be tapped into rather than ignored. And I really like your idea of using emojis for the different paths. And like, you know, we've, we've, yeah, it's like I've designed the happy path and the angry path, but, you know, you don't use emojis for that. But that's kind of cool and fun and nifty and, and brings a certain character. Well, it was just a nice way of like, because it's on the user flow. It was a nice way to draw attention to like, this is a place that really makes people angry. Yeah. <laughs> this is a yeah. place I like where it. I like it. It slows people down. Yeah. I, I will appropriate that. I'll, I will borrow that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Well, we're, we're getting up to the hour. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much. Learned, learned so much. And how can people get in touch with you? I, I am on, you know, as I like to jokingly say, the Twitters. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I, I gave you both of those pieces of information. I yep. think they're probably the, yeah. the easiest ways to find me. Yeah. Is there a master class on mobile design taught by Caitlin Steele? No, no. I think in a couple of weeks, though, I am going to have an article um, coming out on the Atlassian design uh, blog on Medium. So oh, cool. You might cool. hear some of, some of the points that I'm putting in here. Yeah. You got to get you got to get RGB on here. I think that Rebecca would be. A really oh, yeah. Good, yeah. Um, well, to interview. Totally. Thank, thanks for yeah, small world. And uh, now that kind of you planted that seed, I'm going to reach out to her and, and, and get her on. Excellent. Right. Well, design is a very small world. There's so many people that, that know each other, but I think it speaks to just the, the level of community that UX has. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited. Like I, I made my pivot later in life to get into it. I know that there are a lot of people who are eager and interested and I think that that's something that like ADP list has done so much for it's, it's important for all of us who, who got in to, to make sure that we're, we're lending a helping hand to the people coming behind us. Yeah. There's a, there's a great interview of Felix Lee, one of the co-founders of ADP list uh, an older episode. So be sure to check it out if you don't. And yes, ADP list, I'll, I'll call out. It's great. Uh, if you're a young designer or you're new to the field, that's a great way to get a hold of mentors you can find me there too if you want to grab time with me. Yeah, it's a really, really cool site. I've, I've met a lot of great people. Yes, it's amazing. It was one that I, for a while, was getting really big into. I think because I myself personally just started a new job, I definitely am, am not doing as much outside of work, really trying to sort of set my team up for self-focus-wise. But I'll definitely get back to it at some point. Okay, Lynn, thank you so much. And a happy Friday and have a good weekend. Yeah. Happy Friday. It was lovely to talk to you. So thank you so much. And thank you for being patient with my first podcast experience. You, you did wonderful. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.